I've been waiting 23 years to say that. No, it's pronounced DeCandido. DeCandido, thank you. I was, I was about to ask you for my own edification. <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard you say it out loud. I've heard Bronson Pinchot say it out loud. And I've heard myself say it out loud about three different ways. <laughs> How the hell did Bronson Pinchot say my name? He uh, narrated, uh, it was him and a an, uh, woman that, narrated the audio version of the collection your story was in oh um, okay yeah right so he uh you know at the beginning of the the story he oh, was the story. right right, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. yep so all right and uh, let's see i've hit record it's always an open question when they'll get it right my, my my favorite is um they recently released two anthologies that i was in back in the 90s two mm -hmm. spider-man anthologies that i did um, one of the readers got it right and one of the readers got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, my favorite thing in the uh, X-Files uh, compilations, I have all three that uh, Jonathan Mayberry uh, did the right. editing for. And it is the same two narrators. And every time the lone gunmen show up, they pronounce Fro Hickey's name as Fro Hike. And it makes me ah! scream every time. <laughs> Especially since I go, you know, there is a TV show where it's not like you're just reading it off the page. There is a TV show you can reference where this person's name is said out loud. But <laughs> All right. So here we go. Okay. All right. Welcome, everyone, to the FBI's Most Unwanted. I'm Matt. Justin is not here today because I'm about to have a conversation that is going to be uh, very deep cuts X-Files, and Justin is not all the way there yet, so we don't want to spoil it for him. Uh, my guest today <laughs> is an author who I actually became aware of not because of the X-Files, but because of a show that is very similar, Supernatural, which he wrote three tie-in novels for. In fact, if you are a fan of any of the following franchises and read books set in these worlds, there's actually a pretty good chance you've read one of his books or short stories because he's that prolific. Star Trek, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Stargate SG-1, Doctor Who, Andromeda, Farscape, Leverage, Spider-Man, X-Men, Sleepy Hollow, World of Warcraft, Starcraft, D&D, &D, Resident Evil, and of course, The X-Files. He's also the author of his own original works set in a series called The Precinct Series. On top of all that, he also writes rewatches for Tor.com of shows including Star Trek, Star Trek The Next Generation, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Stargate, Batman 66, and a series Series titled Four Color to 35 Millimeter, the great superhero movie rewatch about every live action superhero movie based on a comic book, which means if he doesn't think I'm a total doofus by the end of this interview, I might try to have him on the other <laughs> podcast, Two Broke Geeks, to talk uh, more broadly about geek culture instead of more specifically about the X-Files. I'm very happy to have him here with me today. Welcome, Keith R.A. DeCandido. <laughs> Thank you very much. And yes. yeah, you covered most of as I've done. There's a few you missed, but you got, you got the high point. Oh, I missed two. Oh, man, I tried very hard to get them all in there. In <laughs> fact, I also, <laughs> something else that made me laugh, and I, I didn't put it in here, and it made me chuckle because I didn't know if it was, um, 
like a something about a grandmaster for an international um darn it i the international association of media tie-in writers yes um who uh yeah that's that's an organization that was formed about 20 years ago now Mm -hmm. maybe 25 15 years um in the 2000 in the uh early 2000s uh it was formed basically uh, for people who write for licensed fiction specifically okay. um, an organization very much like the science fiction writers of America, the romance writers of America, yes. et cetera. Um, romance, except specifically for people who write licensed fiction. It's been a great resource and a very useful um, uh, thing for, for those of us who, who toil in those particular fields. <laughs> uh, we also, they also give out bribe awards every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also uh, have given out several Lifetime Achievement Awards. I was granted one in 2009, um, which means I never need to achieve anything ever again. Oh, so. there you go. Well, that's awesome. Now, but before I dive into the X-Files, now I'm curious, how does the um, tie-in author come about? Like, when you, when you were first starting out writing, of course, um, how – because it's, it's a very specific kind of thing, right? Where, like, you start out yeah, writing – my my way of getting into it is completely non-replicable. <laughs> sure, I'm, I, I I assume everybody's kind of packed into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is true with anybody. You ask any six writers how they broke into the field, and you get twelve different answers. Sure. Um, the in my particular case, I was working as an editor uh, for the late Byron Price, who was a book package. Mm-hmm. And Byron had uh, one of the things I did for Byron was edit several licensed uh, properties. Uh, most notably, a series of novels and short story anthologies based on Marvel superheroes. Okay. Um, that's how I got involved in also writing uh, Spider-Man, the X-Men, the Hulk, Silver mm-hmm. Surfer. I did short stories and novels with them uh, throughout uh, the, mid, the mid to late 1990s. And that was because I was the editor in charge of that line. Um, and also got the opportunity to write for it. Uh, So that's how that came about. And I also um, worked with several people as an editor who also were editing other licenses. Uh, Just as an example, I I wrote uh, a Doctor Who short story in 1996 Mm -hmm. for, uh, this was back when Virgin Publishing still had the Doctor Who license. And I, um, uh, I did, I worked for one of the Decalogue anthologies that came out that they did. And, uh, th- that opportunity came about because I bought a short story from Andrew Lane, who was one of the editors of Decalogue 3. Yep. Um, I bought an X-Men story for him for the Ultimate X-Men anthology. I also bought a, uh, an original science fiction story for an anthology we were doing. Mm-hmm. And over the course of conversation, he mentioned that he was putting together a Doctor Who anthology. And I went, oh, oh, oh! And so, yeah. <laughs> All right. So that's how that came about. So, it basically from starting out as an editor in the field and working with a lot of different writers and different editors Mm -hmm. that gave me the opportunity to pitch things. The supernatural books that I did came about because when I was an editor for Byron Price, I worked with John Morgan, who was the editor who was initially in charge of the supernatural novels, the first batch of supernatural novels that came out. Okay. So. Okay. That makes sense. I was just, cause you know, I've, I've read several, you know, I've read the supernatural novels. I have a whole set of Indiana Jones novels and it just is one of those things that I've always wondered about. And I'm glad I find it. It's like, how do you, how does one get to be the author that writes these, these tie-in novels? So that's a, actually there, very, there are so many different mm-hmm. ways of doing it. Oh, I'm sure. And, and <laughs> you know, they're all weird. <laughs> yeah. 
All right. So this is an X-Files show and I could go on and on right. about all kinds of other, I could go on and on about all kinds of other things. Like for example, Star Trek, I'm a big Star Trek fan and I know you are too. Um, but uh, so the X-Files is, uh, of course, I am uh, a little on the younger side. I missed out on the original run of the X-Files. When did you come to the X-Files? Were you like a, a right out the gate X-Files fan or did that? Oh come? yeah. Yeah. Yep. Right out okay. the gate. I, I started watching it when it first started airing. Um, and was completely hooked. Okay. Um, in fact, if I remember, if, if I'm remembering this, I remember Friday nights for me were, were appointment television on Fox that first uh, year because you had the Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. and the X Files back to back. Yes. Originally, nice. Briscoe County didn't last uh, past its first season, unfortunately, but the X Files obviously did continue, and mm-hmm. then Sky and then skyrocketed once it moved to Sundays. And um, but I was a, I was a fan from jump. I I, I nice. loved the show. Um, I was I was completely hooked, and I and I, I and I was I was it was one of the shows that I was very heavily involved with as a fan, mm-hmm. uh, as well. You know, I never I tried to get involved professionally. Um, there's a, there's mm-hmm. a whole story beyond that, which I'll be happy to tell before we're done. Sure. But um, but I was I was Love very you. much part mm-hmm. of, of the original group of people who watched it on Fox as it was happening. So. In fact, well, and actually your appointment television remind. of course, I missed, like I said, I missed the original run of the X-Files, but by the time that the 10th season was coming around, I, of course, we were already deep into the streaming age. I had already cut the cord, but I had like this old pair of rabbit ears in my house that I kept around just in case of whatever. And soon as that 10th season was coming around and I'm, I never, you know, in the age of streaming, you can always pause your shows. You know, your family is more important than anything. He was like, Nope, everybody, I'm shutting myself in the bedroom. It's X-Files time for like an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody just, it's the only thing I've watched live in years. So, so, um, now you were saying, uh, of course you were one of the original fans. Um, you posted a video of yourself uh, on your YouTube page recently reading your, your short story, which we are going to talk about later because I, it's a really good short story and I want to really dig into it with you. But you, you mentioned something about uh, organizing an, X, an X-Files uh, con or being part of an X-Files con. Yep. Am I remembering that correctly? Or I was, I, along with um, Laura Ann Gilman, who's also a fantasy and science fiction author and also one of my best friend she was the she was the best woman at my wedding three mm-hmm. years ago um she and i were both huge x-files fans and and she and i mostly she did most of the legwork i was i was sort of her lord high everything else i was the you know the the, the guy who <laughs> did all the extra stuff that that needed doing uh but she was the driving force behind it, it was called file cabinet spelled p-h-i-l-e yeah um uh and it was it was a very small Relaxicon, basically. We got yeah. the word out via the various online bulletin boards that were around at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this was this was this was back in the days of things like Genie and CompuServe and 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 stuff like that. Yeah, and uh, we would um, we got the word out that way through the fa- the fan the fans that we had already found mm-hmm. on the internet as it was. Um, and then we got together and we did panels and we did viewing parties and we did, uh, you know, uh, readings and all sorts of fun stuff talking nice. about, you know, about, talking about the show, talking about similar shows, um, talking about uh, influences and, and, and also and just mm-hmm. hanging out and, and enjoying ourselves with like-minded fans sure. who also yeah. enjoyed the show. There was only like a couple hundred people at each of these. We did, I think, two of them, maybe three. Oh, but that um, sounds great, though, when you, especially yeah, since it was, you think it about... was a lot of fun. Yeah. 
especially when you think about, uh, you know, nowadays, and of course, everybody still has funds at co- uh, fun at cons, but you go to something like New York Comic Con or Dragon Con or whatever, it's like there's thousands of people there and you're never going to talk to everybody. Um, very cool, very cool. I, one of the things I like about going to conventions that, that, that I'm looking forward to doing again once we're past this pandemic yeah. is... Um, the, I enjoy myself at both. There's something, there's value in both and all the different, because there's basically three tiers of conventions. There's little ones like File Cabinet and there are others that, that I go to like uh, Farpoint and Treklana and uh, Heliosphere here in New York. Uh, mm-hmm. Ones that are only a few hundred people, maybe a thousand at the most, where it's just a small gathering of people and it's very much more intimate. You've got more medium-sized conventions where you've got, you know, closer to like numbers in the, th- in the thousands. Yeah. Um, but still, you know, decent sized, a lot of people, lots of different possibilities of things you can do, but still enjoyable. And then you've got the mega, your Dragon Cons, your, your New York Comic Cons, your San Diego Comic Cons, your, mm-hmm. uh, your big ass Comic Cons where with big ass floors and uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of people. All of them have their value, though. Um, and, sure. and I like the fact that there's so many different options. You know, for file cabinet, we were just trying to do something small. We didn't have any famous people there. Yeah, I mean, this was this was before this was before Laurieann or I really took off as writers. We'd only pub- mm-hmm. you know, between us, we'd only published a few short stories. You know, um, I I think yeah, neither of us had sold our first novel yet. Um, we were both editors. Uh, that that's yeah. how we met, uh, working for different companies, and uh, and we were just you know fans getting it together to 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 have fun with other fans. Nice. Well, that's always, uh, it's so, hmm. I was going to, uh, I'm trying to cycle back. You said something about uh, a story that you could uh, bring up about uh, bringing in, I'm sorry, I completely had a, a brain freeze right there. <laughs> um, you're, I was trying to cycle back. You brought up a, a story that you were going to tell uh, at some point here, and I might as well cycle back to it before I completely forget about it, about uh, trying to become involved. Uh, a little more okay so um I'm trying to were, remember how you worded it i kind of <laughs> there were there were x-files novels that came out while the show was on the air yes uh, charlie grant wrote the first two mm-hmm. um and then kevin anderson wrote uh a bunch oh yeah and, i have those uh, yep mm-hmm. yeah and then and then what happened was they opened it up to other people to to pitch mm-hmm. but the pitching process was just weird you basically you could only pitch one thing one plot Either they took it or they didn't. And if they didn't take it, you couldn't pitch again. You only had one shot. Okay. Yeah, that was weird. Hmm. Um, I don't know if this was Fox or if this was Chris Carter or if this was some weird combination of the two of them hmm. or what or where, what. I, hmm. I have done, as, as you pointed out at the beginning, I have written in a ridiculously large number of different licensed universes. And one sure. of the hallmarks of is that every license is different from every other license and everyone mm-hmm. has their own little quirks and weirdities and stuff. Um, even, even if they're with the same company, it's like I've done a lot of stuff for CBS as an example. Um, it's the same basic company uh, that does the CSI books and also the Star Trek books. Cause they're all owned by CBS slash Paramount yep. slash Viacom. Yeah, Viacom whatever. Yeah. And, um, but CSI's, had a whole bunch of extra layer of weirdness attached to it of, of like they had to do name checks on everything. And, and, and they were very fussy about nomenclature uh, mm. to a degree that I'd never seen in any other license. Um, and I don't know why that was. Um, 
there are certain things with with uh, and, and and so every everyone is different but this i've never seen before or since where you could pitch once and that was your only shot huh. so i pitched something they didn't like it and that was it and and it was weird um hmm. well but, one of uh, the things um about the x-files that i've kind of noticed in chris carter in particular not that i know him or anything it just seems like he has a um a very specific, and this comes in, especially with the myth arc, he has a very specific, this is how um, the X-Files world works. And I've seen the X-Files yeah. maybe however many times I've seen it through. And some of the Chris Carter episodes involving like the myth arc and everything, I still don't know if I 100% understand what he was going for and whatnot. I'm pretty sure he doesn't either. But <laughs> yeah. And so... Um, Okay, there's some there's something when going back to the original run through of the X-Files as you were going through was it more the the through line storyline that really hooked you and got you going or was it more of like I just like this um show where weird stuff is happening and I like these characters going out and dealing with this weird stuff happening? Oh, much, much more of the latter. Um, I, and I honestly lost patience with a lot of the, the myth arc episodes uh, okay. pretty quickly. Okay. Um, because it was really, it, it started out okay, but it was just, mm -hmm. it got so far up its own ass so often. Yeah, I'm, glad I'm, um, I'm glad I'm not alone in thinking that because a lot of other <laughs> X-Files fans I talk to, like all talk about the myth arc episodes. And I'm like, guys, some of that myth arc stuff is really convoluted. Yeah. Um, and, and it just... I, my, I personally have very little patience for um, overarching conspiracy theories because humanity mm -hmm. isn't that organized. Yeah, um, <laughs> I just I, I, I and and I real and I especially have very little patience with um, uh, bad guy characters who are able to escape consequences so easily. Um, yes, mm -hmm. and who who never make any mistakes, who always do everything perfectly, so they're never caught, which mm -hmm. just flies in the face of believability, you know. Yes. Um, and I was much more interested and much more invested in, you know, Scully and Mulder solving weird cases. That was mm -hmm. fun. There, and having said that, there are Myth Arc episodes that were great. Um, sure. You know, uh, there were there, and like. The, the whole Dwayne Barry storyline is an example. That was really good. Yes. Um, the, the, the bits with, um, uh, toward the end of the second season with the Navajo code talking mm -hmm. and, 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 and various other bits, that, that was well done. But the problem was, you know, it, it worked when there was a lot of mystery involved and we didn't know stuff. The more we knew, the less sense it made. Yes. Um, and, and that was, that was the biggest problem. Um, but, but I like my, my, what I loved most was, like I said, the two of them just going out and trying to deal with crazy ass stuff that was happening. Yeah. Um, I love the characters. I love, I love Mulder and Scully. Um, Dana Scully is one of my absolute favorite characters on television. Um, and, and I, I really liked the dynamic the two of them had. Um, and I liked that the way it developed and the way they worked together over the course of the series. Um, that's, that's what appealed to me. I liked, you know, yes. when, when they were, when they were, when they were doing, you know, an updated yeah. Kolchak, the night stalker, basically that was, that mm -hmm. was cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's what I was there for. And, that, and, and, and you know, most of my favorite episodes are ones that aren't part of the grand arc that are just um, 
you know, standalone funky procedural or horror episodes, things like Ice, like Beyond the Ice, Sea. Like, yep. Um, uh, pretty much any episode written by Darren Morgan. <laughs> yes, um, absolutely. I know those 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 kind of go on my favorite automatically. Yep. Um, the yeah, those are those are those were the best ones to me. Yeah, and um, when you were, of course, this is something that always divided the fandom and probably still divides X-Files fandom to this day. As you, as you watch Mulder and Scully's relationship evolve through the series, did it make sense to you that they eventually kind of became like a romantic couple? Or was that something Not to no. you that was kind of like <laughs> no, off-putting? I hated that. Yes. I, okay. I hated that. I... I, I I mean, I, I, there, there are certain instances. I mean, it, it, it varies from situation to situation. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I hated the idea of Mulder and Scully becoming a romantic couple for for the simple reason I had no problem with it on Mulder's end. Mm-hmm. But Scully was smarter than to get involved with, him. <laughs> especially <laughs> that since was, that was my big issue. Um, you know, and also the relationship they had was stronger than that anyway. I mean, even, right. even if you didn't romance into it, the two of them had a bond that transcended that in any case because of all the crap they'd been through mm-hmm. together. Um, I liked, and, and I just didn't, it didn't, I didn't buy a romantic coupling between the two of them ever. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm not universal about that. I, I, there are plenty of other instances where I thought, hell, I spent this, the entire seven years of Star Trek The Next Generation waiting in vain for Picard and Crusher to get together. Oh, I know. Um, Isn't that aggravating that they never but, got together? Um, and, but, but no, Mulder and Scully, I just, I mean, I just, I didn't like that. I didn't yeah. like that development at all. One of the, uh, the the joys of doing this podcast that I'm doing is is my friend Justin has never watched it before. I don't know how he he managed to avoid it all these years, but he especially since he like oh you like, it's there's so much there's so much good TV out this there. This is true, both past and present. I, there's no way to keep up with all of it. But what, I what still haven't the, seen the event. So. Yeah, but but one of the joys to me is watching him kind of discover the character development in the the yeah. the bond between Mulder and Scully on the the working friendship. These two are partners. Can even some of yeah. the worst episodes we've watched so far, and we're we're about to do uh, the Erlenmeyer flask. We've gotten to the end of of season one. <laughs> It's, yeah. even some of the worst episodes is like, oh, there's some good stuff in here of watching Mulder and Scully kind of bond, especially since um, Scully's the one that has to come around because we've mentioned it a lot of times. One of the, the major problems of the show, and it's, it's only a problem but the, because you notice it now in hindsight, but the show doesn't work without it, is Mulder is always right, no matter how thin his evidence is. <laughs> So yeah. she's the one that kind of has to come around to bonding with him more than he has to come yeah. around to bonding with her. <laughs> That's one of the things I liked about Beyond the Sea was that oh, Mulder God, actually yes. was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and which, which yeah, because I, I think he honestly should have been, there needed to be more. I mean, it, it, it's in my first, you mentioned I, I wrote some supernatural novels. One of the things mm-hmm. I wanted to do in supernatural was have their, cause even in the world of supernatural where magic and, and demons and stuff yes. are real, there would still be fakes out there. Of course. <laughs> and, and, and my first supernatural novel, Nevermore has somebody 
basically trying to create a ritual that doesn't actually work. Yes. It's, it's nonsense. It doesn't work. The guy doesn't know this. He knows he's still doing it anyway. Yep. Um, he thinks he's going to resurrect the ghost of Edgar Allan Poe and it's not going to work. And all he's doing is mm-hmm. killing people for no good reason. Um, and, and there should, I, there should have been that at least occasionally the X-Files too, where mm-hmm. they come across something that really is garbage. It really one, is. Fake. Um, a couple of them spring to mind. Uh, and this isn't a great episode, but um, Jersey Devil is one yeah. where where at the end Mulder is right, but it's not necessarily like a monster. And there's the other one, and oh God, the title of the episode is slipping, but it's it's basically like a a, a Loch Ness monster type character, and they get there, yeah. and they you know they investigate the whole thing, and it turns out that. It, Mulder leaves the scene thinking he was wrong that there's no monster. And then of course it's right. the thing where you, you see the monster, but in, in, in the case that, that they were investigating, the monster wasn't involved at all. So, right. um, oh, good episode. I can't wait to watch that one again. Um, <laughs> so in speaking of Mulder always being right and everything, I want to dive a little bit into your story. Um, out of the X-Files Trust No One. It's titled, Back in El Paso, My Life Would Be Worthless. And um, just in case anybody listening hasn't read the collection before, go out, get it, listen to it, read it, whatever. It's fantastic. And this story, I... I like it a lot because it, number one, you packed in just about everything um, X-Files you could pack in, except I think maybe the smoking man and the lone gunman, I think are the only things that didn't make it into your story. And also because... Well, the, the former was on purpose, but... Uh, sure, yeah, of course. I would have loved to have used the lone gunman, but there was no place for them in the story. So. Right, exactly. And that's what I was going to say. The story had so much in it, they, they wouldn't have gone mm. anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. But also, um, I like the fact that uh, you have in the story, Mulder is, I mean, in the end, he's right, but he leaves the situation not knowing he's right. So basically, Scully wins in that situation (laughs) because... (laughs) The only one who won in that case was the bad guy, but... um, Well, true, but I mean, in in terms of like... Science, science versus. She goes. There's just no evidence for your theory. You yeah. can't. You know. And yeah. so, in a way, she wins. So, oh boy, I got a lot of stuff I want to. First of all, how does this story come about? Does Jonathan get in touch with you and go? You know, I, I'm working on this X Files collection. Would you like to be a part of it, or did did you happen to Actually, hear that, and go? Yeah. Um, that- that's how it started. I've done, I have written a lot of short stories for anthologies that Jonathan has edited or co-edited. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's a big fan of my work. I'm a big fan of his work for that matter. And, and he and I are yes. also close friends, but um, he loves working with me and I love working with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I've worked with him on, uh, I did a night of the living dead story for him and George Romero. Oh, um, that's so cool. I did, I did a, a alternate Sherlock Holmes story for him and Michael Ventrella for two anthologies called Baker Street Regulars. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the first, actually, I think the first thing I did with him was V Wars, which was uh, mm-hmm. the the vampire thing that Jonathan created. Which was uh, they did a, net, a Netflix season, uh, yes. a season on Netflix with Summer Holder based on it. I did two stories for that, um, and uh, a bunch of others, including this. So yeah, Jonathan basically came to me and said, "Hey, want to do a story?" Because uh, he knew I was a fan mm-hmm. uh, of the X Files, and I said, "Absolutely." And what I what I specifically pitched and what I wanted to do was. The one thing we didn't get to see very much of was 
how did the rest of the FBI feel about the two nut jobs in the basement? Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'm, I'm a big fan of police procedural generally. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of my work, um, I do a lot of fantastical police procedurals. The Precinct series you mentioned at the top yep. of the show is it takes place in an epic fantasy setting, but the main characters are. Cops. I bought the I thought, first book the other day. The the description, ah, I was like, "Oh my god, I gotta read that!" So, <laughs> well, I'm glad you liked it. Um, yeah. Uh, have, oh, if you've read it yet, I, don't know. I haven't read it yet. Anyway, I bought it the oh, other day okay. based well, on the description. Like so, um, and and if you do like it, there's four more novels in a yes. short story club. Yep. But uh, but I've also done. I've got the Super City Cop series, which is about cops in a city filled with superheroes. Uh, my two Spider-Man novels, my first Supernatural novel. Mm-hmm. Um, all have involved uh, one of my Buffy novels for that matter have involved cops dealing with fantastical stuff. Yep. And, and I've also written straight up uh, police procedurals as well. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's of interest to me generally. And um, the, uh, but so I wanted to do a story where our POV character was a normal FBI. Yes. Yep. Um, and, and, for, basically forced by Skinner to work with Mulder and Scully um, and and how annoyed he was. Uh, mm-hmm. I also got to throw out my pet theory as to why the FBI kept the X-Files around. Um, okay. Yeah, I, was, I, was one, I, was, I was wondering um, if that was... Because my follow-up question to this was going to be, was this something you had, like kicking around in your brain like oh man if i ever get to write an x-files story here's what i do or it, was it more like okay now i get to write an x-files story now i gotta think about it the the one part that was kicking around in my head the entire time was mm-hmm. the conversation that uh agent colt has with uh agent scully on the plane okay. where he talks about the fact that the reason why the fbi keeps um keeps Mulder and Scully's unit going is because it's a special unit and the stats are counted differently, which is, which is how law enforcement works Mm -hmm. and has worked for the last 30 years or so is that, um, with, with the, the improvement in the, over the course of the nineties, uh, with improved technology and improved databases and improved ability to share information across long distances, um, crime statistics became a very important part of law enforcement. Yep. And, uh, and so that st- statistical efficiency became a very important part of how police officers, and like they would examine the statistics and say, okay, this, you know, the, the, the crime, crimes are up here. You need to do something about that. They're down here. So you're doing this right. So yep. do what they're doing, stuff like that. Um, and it also is unfortunately uh, gets stuck in political nonsense as everything does. Right. But, but also special units stats are counted differently. And so it would make sense because the, the X-Files division's actual arrest record sucks. Yes, absolutely. It's interesting you bring that up. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say it's interesting you bring that up because uh, I re-listened to uh, Back in El-, El Paso, oh. My Life Will Be Worthless, a, a couple days after I watched I can't remember what episode it was, but Scully was bringing up to, Oh, it was uh, Skinner's first episode. She was having a meeting with him and she, it was um, tombs. It was tombs. It was the uh, right. second episode, Adrian. And she was bringing up to him the fact that uh, their, their closure rate was actually um, 
slightly above bureau standard, but you're right. Their, their arrest record, their act, they, they close the cases quote unquote, but their actual <laughs> arrest record and actually catching the bad guy is very poor. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I had to sit down and like go through them to, to make sure that they well, yeah, most, a lot of the cases they were, they, they don't actually make it arrest at the end. Mm-hmm. They don't have, you know, um, and and I, I just I, I wanted it to take place in the second season just because I didn't want to get too deep into into the weeds with the show. I wanted to keep it, you know. Okay, that was another uh, question. I and had. that was that was my that was that was the height of my fandom of the show and my favorite era of the show. So I wanted to stick mm-hmm. with that. Yes. Um, I like. And, uh, uh, I I appreciated. Like I said, you you got a lot of stuff in there. I appreciated that it was set slightly after Dwayne Barry, so that you had just that one extra little bit of of yes. Uh, yeah. lore um, to bring yeah. in there especially considering how important that little bit of lore is to the series for for yes. scully being abducted so yeah and 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 working his history and how that would affect his fellows in the bureau was also important as well mm-hmm. um and that was it was and it was fun to just you know to get into that and and but the rest of the story i I, I went back and forth as to a bunch of different possibilities. I wanted to do something that, that would be appropriately X-Files-y. Yes. Um, and, and, I, and I like the idea of a serial killer who is also a shape changer so he would never get caught. Yeah. In- you know, and that, 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 I hit on that, and, and I actually, the reason I said it in El Paso in particular is I very, very loosely based it on uh, a serial killer in Mexico. Oh, um, Okay. And I mean, I didn't stick with the, that very, very long. That was just sort of my starting point, sure. and I ran from there. Um, but and I went with El Paso just because it's it's close to the Mexican border because it has mm-hmm. to be you know for for Scully and Mulder it has to be in the states. Yeah. And it was also just you know a different location. Um, mm-hmm. uh, one I'd never been to, of course. Uh, but I did. I, I tried to. Uh, I did a lot of research and looked at a lot of pictures and a lot of video of El Paso to try to capture. For what it's worth, somebody from El Paso told me that I got it right. Sometimes. Oh, that's good. Well, I, I appreciate the um, bringing franchises to places that they don't typically go because their their shooting location limits yeah. them. Like, you know, I, I, I watched all the seasons of the X-Files. Uh, I reside in Vermont. I think they had one episode where they came to Vermont and it wasn't even a very good episode. And then like Supernatural, I think they had like, they came here, they met a character at his house and then immediately left again. <laughs> so, yeah. you know. When, well, when, that's, that's the problem. I mean, you know, both X-Files and Supernatural have the exact same problem. They travel all over the country and everywhere they go looks just like Vancouver. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly it. So when you, when you and, said and it. one of the advantages one of the advantages of, of prose fiction is that we can embrace the location in a way mm-hmm. that the show can't because we're not limited by that. Right. That's why my three supernatural novels take place in New York, Key West and San Francisco. Yep. Cause those are places that were, I, you know, I, that have very distinctive characters that the show itself wouldn't be able to replicate exactly. limited as they are by filming in British Columbia. Um, so, and, yes. and it was the same thing with the X-Files story. El Paso was, is, is a place with, the, with enough of a, its own character that, isn't very Pacific Northwesty. <laughs> yes. Um, and let's see. Let me check my notes here. I had one other thing uh, about your story in particular. Well, you, you, of course, you had your your serial killer who was a shape changer. In right, was it something? Because earlier we were talking about the idea that that Mulder is always right, and of course, in your story, Mulder comes up with his shapeshifter theory based on 
basically the finding of inert matter, which is not necessarily like the most evidence in the world, which Mulder sometimes does. Well, was it was it? it was also it was also the ground up bones. That was that oh, was that thing. Co- right, right, right. I just listened yeah, to that this was, a couple that days was ago. That's what got him. That's okay. what got him on that track. Yes, the ground up bones. Uh, yeah. So. Um, at the end, when when they leave, and obviously uh, Agent Colt is the one who finds out that it's true that he's the shapeshifter, yes. was of course it was intentional. You put it in there, but was it in the back of your mind that maybe Mulder is doesn't necessarily need the win this time around? Or I, I it was in keeping with a lot of the other cases where they don't resolve, mm-hmm. or, or from the FBI's perspective, it's not resolved. That was true of a lot of the X Files cases. Yep. Yep. Okay. Where where the best they could do was. The best they could do was stop any more bad things from happening, which they did for all intents and purposes. You know, like the shape changer said, he's not, you know, with Mulder and Scully on it. I, I, I kind of had fun with the idea that, you know, oh, these guys know what they're doing, so I better get out of here. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. That the, uh, you know, the serial killer was perfectly fine to keep on killing people as long as, you know, local cops or Colt was on the case. But once mm-hmm. somebody who actually knew what they were doing, like Mulder and Scully were <laughs> yes. there, it was like, okay, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, now, with the with the book, was that uh, something that like had to go? Like, did everybody? Uh, I I heard from uh, Jonathan Mayberry that the book had been read by Chris Carter. Was that something like? Yeah. Did did every story go through Chris Carter or like? As far as I know, yeah. Oh, cool. At the very least, oh. I know the I know the uh, the pitches did because with with any licensed fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, regardless of, of, of what the license is, the first thing you have to do is get your story plot approved. Yes. Um, you don't go ahead and write an entire story or an entire novel or an entire comic mm-hmm. book without writing a plot outline first, and that has to be approved by whoever owns it. Okay. Um, uh, in this particular case, uh, Carter himself, uh, at the very least, approved the pitches. Um, I, I, I honestly right. don't know, when, I don't remember now uh, if, if it was him, he himself, who did the final stories. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he right. did. A, uh, part of it is you know, because it, it's a lot of. Very rarely does the showrunner get involved in that. Not because, mm-hmm. um, just simply because they're usually too busy running the show or running another show if it's mm-hmm. after it's off the air or doing other things. Um, every once in a while, you will get somebody like you know. In this case, Carter did get directly involved, in, and you know, with short stories, it was probably an easier thing for him to do. Um, uh, and when I did the leverage novel, John Rogers was involved directly in the process of, of that, those approvals also. Yep. Uh, but John also has a background in, in writing superhero comic books. So he knows the drill. Um, okay. gotcha. Uh, and, and also the, I did a heroes novella when, when they did the heroes reborn miniseries back in 2015, I think. Oh, okay. Yep. Um, the, uh, it was actually the showrunner, the guy, the executive producer of the show who, who did all our approvals on that as well. Nice. But uh, that, but that's in keeping with Heroes. Heroes, uh, both both uh, the original Heroes and the Reborn miniseries were very committed to keeping consistency across all their various tie-ins. Um, mm-hmm. So that, uh, and that was something that Tim Kring was very invested in and that all the people who worked for him were also invested in. So that was great. That was one of the, I'm, honestly, the Heroes novella was one of the best experiences I ever had. Because the sh- because the people involved in making the show were so much involved in the process, but uh, it doesn't always happen. But it did in this case. I think partly because you know uh, this is very much Chris Carter's baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and and he wanted to make sure that that you know everything was done right. So, mm-hmm. all right. 
Um, I, this is just something else that, that actually popped into my head just now because we were talking about superheroes and it got me thinking about comics and so my, my brain took this turn. Of course, after the show went off the air, they, it was off the air for a little while and they, there was supposedly never going to be a season 10 and so they did the X-Files season 10 comic books and I think there mm-hmm. was a season 11 as well. Uh, maybe. Oh, maybe, yeah, because well, was, Tops, Tops was doing, Tops was already doing uh, comics while the mm-hmm. show was on the air. So. Oh, okay. So, yeah. of course, as an X-Files fan, were you like into the season 10? Because I've actually, I've, I think I've read that, com- but basically, I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, kind of like Star Wars fans were devoted for a long time to this idea of an extended universe where the, the story goes on in novels and then they come along and go, mm-hmm. oh no, that, that doesn't count anymore. Did you get into the X-Files season 10 comic book where the story continued and then they come along and go, oh, here's the show? Or were you just kind of off uh, X-Files by then? And then when the I, show I came did, back to her. But I, I had actually kind of fallen away from the show, honestly, before it was over. I, mm-hmm. I, the, the, I watched the, the final episode uh, of season nine, but, the, but I had pretty much lost interest in it up to that point. Yeah. Um, it was just, there was, it was too much of, too much of the myth arc stuff and not enough of the, of what I actually was there to yeah. watch. And I just sort of, I fell away from it uh, around season eight. Okay. Um, so no, I didn't read the comic books for that reason. I, I, I mean, the fact that, that, those comics were contradicted doesn't uh, bother me. I, I, I do this for a living. Um, I don't stress about what's, I don't stress about what's real <laughs> in a fictional construct. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, yes, the, the, the tie-in fiction is sometimes ignored, often ignored mm-hmm. uh, by the, the, the on-screen, the, by the original iteration. Yes, the, the tie-in comics and the novels are not canon. You know yeah. what? The Marvel Cinematic Universe is not canon. People right. still go see those movies. Yep. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't see why the world the world is surviving just fine with two different version with you know a different version of Iron Man in movies than we have in the comic books because I mean that's the thing Robert <laughs> yeah. Downey Jr.'s Iron Man is nothing like the Tony Stark of the comic not book at all, at all. no um, not even close <laughs> and it's fine you know we've had four different versions of Sherlock Holmes on screen over the last fifteen years mm-hmm. two of which are are completely incompatible are modern day versions which are completely incompatible with with Conan yep. Doyle. Um, and then you, you know, you've got the, the Ian McKellen movie and you've got the Robert Downey Jr. movies. Um, and there've been so many others beyond that, you know, uh, mm-hmm. that are not compatible with Conan Doyle in the world. You know, we've had three different screen versions of Batman over the last 15 years. Yep. None, none of which are completely one-to-one with what DC does every month. Right. It's fine. There's, you know, this yeah. is fiction. These are not, we're not Thermians watching historical documents. We can, you know, yeah. uh, the, the, you know, yes, the, the comic books were contradicted. So what? Sure. Hell, the yep. show contradicted itself. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I kind of had a feeling based on what you did, but that's kind of one of the things I've always, it's been my kind of one of my bugaboos lately is everybody complaining about what's quote unquote real in the fictional, fictional universe. I'm like, guys, we got yeah. more important things going on to, to yeah. argue about. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And I, 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 I've done a lot of work in Star Trek fiction where our stuff is contradicted by on-screen stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Star <laughs> Trek, thing, this is completely off topic from, from the X-Files talk, but since I got you, the Star Trek, I'm glad you have written Star Trek fiction because I've been a, a Star Trek fan pretty much my whole life, but I've always yeah. avoided reading the books 
mostly just because there's so many of them. It's like, okay, which one do I pick that's actually good? So now I can go, oh, okay, Keith wrote some Star Trek books. I know I like the way <laughs> Keith wrote. Let me pick up, because I read, I think I read my first Star Trek book finally last year, and I basically did it by going on Amazon, scrolling, closing my eyes, and pointing, <laughs> and going, <laughs> okay, I want to read a Star Trek book. I'll read that one and hope it's good. And <laughs> so, um, so... Well, basically, now I guess as we kind of get to a close here, I'm just going to just ask some very basic X-Files questions. You already said kind of what your favorite episode was. I know, so I might as well drool over Ice for a little bit. <laughs> yes, because uh, I always love that episode. Ice is, um, for being a first season episode, and as I rewatch the first season now, I'm like, oh, it's kind of one of those things where I realize, oh, if this was on TV now, because there's just so much content out there, this show might not make it, because some of the episodes in the first season aren't aren't as strong as, like, season two and season three. Um, But Ice is one of those things where it's like, oh, this is amazing, and it's the thing, pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. Based on, so... um, And there's another one later that is similar, correct? Uh, Firewalk? Uh, fire? What well, it's just called Fire. But fire, yeah. yes. Okay. Yeah. I was which just... was terrible. But... <laughs> <laughs> it's, which is weird because it's almost yeah. the same one, only it's, yeah. it's not as good. So, okay. Let's do... Of course, you said Dana Scully is one of your favorite... I was going to say Scully or Mulder. So... Um... Oh, yeah. I mean, Mulder, Mulder's a hot mess. I mean, he's a great character, but he's a total yeah. hot mess. Oh, um, that reminds me of one other thing I was going to ask you real quick about your own story. Um, even though Mulder is a, a, a kind of a hot mess, one of the things about Mulder is he is, I think Mulder is actually hilarious. I think dry humor, for, for oh, whatever yeah. reason, dry humor to me is just hysterical. And they just, when you were, in fact, there's a joke in your story that made me laugh so hard. Something about, um, where does that leave us? And Mulder says something out and he goes, that's not funny. And Mulder says it wasn't meant to be. And I'm like, I beg to differ. I think it was, uh, <laughs> I wish I could remember exactly what it was. I just listened to it, but I'm going to get the wording wrong. So I don't yeah. want to try and, but did you find that? Cause to me, it seems like it would be easier to write a scene with a character who is just kind of goofy. Was the finding the Mulder complete deadpan, dry humor voice, um, easier as a fan or did you still sit there and go wait i gotta make sure that this is is actually the way Mulder would make a joke well i do that i do that every time i i i mean one of the things i i I focus on when i'm writing any licensed Mm -hmm. fiction is making sure i get the character voices right Mm -hmm. um that's that's to me that's the most important part because people reading this know what the characters are supposed to sound like. Mm-hmm. If I write a line of dialogue for Mulder that people can't hear David Duchovny saying, I have failed at my job. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, always, every line of dialogue, I'm sort of running through my head to like, okay, how, you know, would Duchovny really be able to deliver this line and sound mm-hmm. like himself? Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that I, I, is it easy? Well, I mean, I, I've been doing this for more than 25 years now. So there's that. I mean, that, that's sort of part of my process. Right. Um, so I mean that's what I was going for. I was trying to make sure. So so of course. So the I mean the answer it, it's really both. I mean yes it it's it's something that's fairly easy for me to do simply from the ease of long practice, mm-hmm. but it's something I'm always conscious of also. 
Okay. Uh, and it's something I try very hard to make sure I get right. Um, mm -hmm. So, all right. Like, like every time, every time I write Skinner, I always, you know, try to make it sound like, you know, the way Mitch Pileggi always <laughs> talks, like his, his entire jaw is clenched every time mm -hmm. he talks, which is the way, you know, yeah. it's, it's actually the second time I've written a Mitch Pileggi character because in one of my supernatural novels, uh, I, I have, uh, yes. one of my supernatural, a part of the story takes place in 1969 with the Campbell family. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Pelleggi and uh, as as Samuel uh, Samuel Wind Samuel Campbell, yes, uh, their grand. So that was fun too. I love I love mm -hmm. Pelleggi as an actor. I, I I've always enjoyed his great. Work. Yeah, he yeah. Uh, and he seemingly looks exactly the same. I, I don't know if he was an old looking young younger man or if he's a younger looking older man. It's hard. To, <laughs> I saw him a picture of him the other day. I went, wait a minute, doesn't Mitch Pileggi look exactly the same as he did in like I, the first season of the X-Files <laughs> except with a beard? I, I, think, I, think, I think the premature baldness made him look older than he was at the time. I guess but, <laughs> it must have been because it was yeah. just one of those things. Um, all right. So... Just real quick, favorite X-Files monster? If you had to pick a favorite X-Files monster. Beyond, of course, we had the, the parasite from Ice, which I don't know if it's a monster or I, not. I mean, that, what, that wasn't, what I liked about that episode wasn't necessarily the monster. Sure. But, I mean, probably, honestly, um, I'm blanking on the character's name now, but uh, Brad Dourif played him in Beyond the Sea. The yep, killer. okay, I know who you're talking about. Uh, um, and I am also completely drawing a blank. I don't know why. <laughs> but yeah, but, but uh, his, uh, part, mo mostly because Brad Dourif was playing him and Brad Dourif is brilliant. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so probably him? Yep. Um, I, yeah, I, just, I would... I would probably say I can't say enough good things about that episode. It is a yeah, just a fantastic uh, little, mostly just a little character piece of Dana Scully, which is I think yeah, uh, yeah. why I, I like it and it's so strong. All right, well, um, is there anything else that you would like to add before I uh, let you get back to your own life here? Um, just, uh, just, no, I just, I, it was, it, I was so grateful when Jonathan approached me to, to do the story because I, you know, like I said, going back to when they were doing tie-in novels while the show was on the air, I wanted mm -hmm. to write an X-Files story. I was, yep. I was a huge fan uh, and I never got to. So the fact that I got to write that story was, was great. It made me incredibly happy. Yes, I bet. So, and, uh, and, like and, I'm, and I'm glad I've got that one little piece of, of lore there. And I'm glad it was well-received. A lot of people really like the story. It um, is, it's, yeah. I, I noticed I mean, a lot of the reviews online. Mm -hmm. Uh, singled it out for praise, which which made me very happy. Yep. Um, so I'm I, glad I, got, I I did good I did good by by, by Fox and Dana. So. I'll uh, I'll agree, and not just because you're here. It is really good. Uh, it's, I've listened to it several times because I have the audio book, and I'm like, man, just in term the the whole collection is great. But yeah, yours is is one of the standouts. And in, like again, I'll just tell everybody in case they haven't got it. It is called. Back in El Paso, my life will be worthless, and it is in the X Files. Trust no one. I almost said the title of one of the other. I almost said the truth is out there, and I'm like, that's not it. It's trust no one. And the funny thing is, originally the first one was going to be called the truth is out there, and then they decided to make that the second one. They trust no one. The first one. Yep. All right. Well, <laughs> but it's, it's a, yeah, um, it's in, um, in. And honestly, just get all three of IDW's anthologies. They're all really. Good. 
They're all really good. Yes, that is very true. Well, I'm very, very glad that you uh, decided that you agreed to come on here and uh, chat with me a little bit about your story and about your history with the X Files. And you did kind of live the uh, the the geek dream where it's like uh, you know you get to go play in the play in the <laughs> sandbox of not just the X Files but all these other wonderful franchise. Um, I think it was Kevin Smith uh, has said at least once that is like we're we're living now in the generation where people who grew up fans are now making the content and it is making the content that much better because these are the people that have absorbed it their entire lives. Yep. So you really definitely the, the, <clears throat> the, yeah. the, one of the big turning points to my mind, and and I noticed this particularly when I was doing the superhero movie rewatch. Mm -hmm. um, where I basically went through, like you said, I went through every single live action movie based on a superhero comic, starting with Superman and the Mole Men back in the 50s and going all the oh, way through wow. yep. to Joker last year. And and every every single one of them. And, and the turning mm -hmm. point to me was roughly around the turn of the millennium because then you started getting people like Guillermo del Toro, like Sam Raimi, like Brian mm -hmm. Singer, like Joss Whedon, who grew up reading comic books and were actually fans of the of the material before they ever started making movies based on it, mm -hmm. and that fandom starts to show through. Yep. And 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 you know, then you get people like like you know now you're getting people like Ryan Coogler and 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 uh, James Gunn and sure. uh, and um, uh, oh god I'm blanking on her name Patty Jenkins yes. who who are genuinely fans of the material mm -hmm. who are who are now making making the movies and the TV shows and and, and yep. all the rest of it. So. Well, and, it, and and yeah, Kevin Smith was absolutely right. It, it makes the material better because they're yep. coming. So many of the 20th century uh, comic book adaptations were done by people who were not enamored of the material or did not take the material seriously. Mm -hmm. And and the fact that you know, in particular, I think Sam Raimi and Brian Singer deserve a lot of the credit for what they did with the Spider-Man and X-Men movies. Um, and, and to a lesser extent, um, what Christopher Nolan did as well was, was take the material seriously, take the characters seriously. Mm -hmm. And that, that made a difference. I agree. And it also shines through in your work that you are a, you're a fan, you know, your you know, your stuff and it, it just elevates your work and makes it awesome. And thanks for, uh, I look forward to reading more of it in the future and, uh, thanks for being here with me. So everybody, My that pleasure. was Keith. <laughs> All right. Bye, everybody. The FBI's Most Unwanted is a production of Two Broke Geeks Entertainment and is part of the Atomic Geekdom Network. Find the flagship Two Broke Geeks podcast wherever you download podcasts or online at twobrokegeeks.com. You can find the Atomic Geekdom Network at atomicgeekdom.com. Our artwork is by Justin Kowalski. You can find him on Twitter at J underscore Rocka. Our theme music is by Tony Longworth. You can find him on Twitter at Tony Longworth or on Facebook, Tony Longworth Dark Composer. You can help out the podcast by subscribing and leaving us a review. Thanks. Thanks.